Hey, welcome to another episode of So You Can Hear Me When I'm Gone. In this episode, we interview my dad, Daniel Perry. He shares with us some thoughts on his brother and different stories from growing up and what Dave what Dave was like. So my uncle, my uncle, that's my uncle, Uncle David Allen Perry. He was born the 12th of August, 1956 in Roseburg, Oregon. And he died on the 17th of June, 2018 in Portland, Oregon. He died of lung cancer at the age of 62 and we invited my dad over to share thoughts on Uncle Dave and what he was like and I hope you enjoy remember um in redmond at one of our places you'll notice that mike has three distinct scars on his eyes on the sides of his eyeballs um and i'm unfortunately i have to claim it i think two of them (laughs) um and probably the third one inadvertently or unintentionally (laughs) but uh yeah the one was that i'm thinking of is we've got i think we were loading groceries out of the white suburban no it was like a jeep kind of thing oh yeah and you know it was an older rig yep didn't have the door just flies open if you let it go we were on this we were on this slant and it was at night and uh and uh, I, I just let the door go, and Mike was standing there, and the thing goes, you know, opens and hits him right, like perfectly on the eye. Just, and of course, it's your head, your face, you know. So you just Bleeds it just crazy. starts bleeding profusely. You know, it looks like we've just you know opened his brain up or something. You know, and we go in there, and it's just oh my word, yeah. Anyway, and I know uh, you two had a number of adventures when you were growing up, you and Uncle Dave, <laughs> similar to that. Yeah, I can. I could tell you misadventures, maybe. Most maybe of those. We could say. Unfortunately, I don't have my brother's actual antics or his take on it, which I know now is is different than mine. Oh, which okay. I thought mine was correct. Yeah, I, this is how it happened. You yeah, know, for sure. Turns out that really wasn't the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Certainly. yeah. I I um I remember that. Uh, the, the one that stands out the most, and I'm sure you guys have heard this story lots of times, but when uh, David and I were, we were, it seemed like we were just like, you know, must have been, it was before first grade, so I don't know how old you are then, is it five? Five, five, five or six? Yeah, five or six years old, something like that. 
we had a, we, those are somehow those were those memories at that age were just like burned into my memory. I, I've never forgotten every detail about a couple of things that happened. Yeah. Cause I, there's actually several there. That's interesting. So my mom and dad were, they bought this piece of property and dad was going to build this house. And it, the house was like, I'm kind of picturing, well, I've been out there since. So, I mean, not like recently, but at the time, and it's about the size of our house that our house used to be before we started adding on to the house we have in Provo here. Yeah, yeah. So it's like 1,300 square feet, 1,200 square feet. It was not a big place at all, just a ranch style, you know, no no, no angles or whatever, just your basic place. And um, I just have a lot of memories of that because for a while on the inside, instead of having sheetrock, so we could separate the bathrooms because we were living there, they were just cardboard. So we put cardboard walls up essentially. We had we had walls that were like two before walls, but to give the walls no insulation, a little privacy no around shock. the bathroom, yeah. we put we had cardboard up. No sheet so, rock. Which we were gonna do that a little bit this time, but we're not right. We're we're gonna be able to progress further than that, so we don't need to. Anyway, so it was just that's the kind of setting, and right behind our house is this, this hill that's a pretty it was not like crazy steep, but it was pretty pretty good angle. Um, and it was a hill, not a mountain, obviously, just like kind of graded up past the house. And there were several homes that had been built along this st- one street. And at the end of the street, you could actually go into another big field, and there was the river right there, the North Umpqua River. Um, and so we were, it was, you know, it was about probably, oh, I don't know, 500 yards to the river. And, uh, it, and it rained a lot during that time. And I know this was the, this was around the, I think it was the year 64. So that I'd have to go do the math on that, but make sure what age I was. That doesn't sound right because, yeah, it does too, actually. 1964? Says that that put, us, put us at six or seven. So <laughs> it must have been like the year before. Anyway, the, the Umpqua River would, would get higher and be running pretty pretty good because um, you've got you know, all the mountains, all the water coming in from clear up in the cascades, runoff. runoff and stuff. Spring and summer so, runoff. So this was in the springtime, but it was still felt reasonably warm. And we were told numerous occasions, hey, we, we've got to, you know, don't go down to the river. Don't go, you can't go past the end of the street. And so we would take off, go down to the end of the street. And my brother and I would wander off down there. And I, we, I, like I said, we must have been five or six. We left there when it was going into the second grade. So it must have been like six, maybe six or seven. So I'm not sure when these, in that time frame, when we lived in this glide, this is in Glide, Oregon, which is, which is up toward, up the mountains from, from Roseburg, so east. Um, probably, what is that? Probably 10, 15 miles from Roseburg, where I was born. Um, anyway, that's where this house was on this one street right there in Glide. Just, this is a little village kind of thing. It wasn't, you know, anything fancy. Um, and we, so we were, uh, one sp- had to have been spring because it was, the river was pretty high. Anyway, mom was always telling us, don't go down to the end of the street. You know, I mean, you can be on the street, but don't, you know, don't go any further or whatever. So it was really, it was raining and we got distracted. I don't remember what caused us to do it. I don't remember the idea that David and I had, but we were always feeding off each other's ideas. I remember that, like that was always a thing, feeding off each other's ideas. He'd come up with something. I don't know who came up with it. And if Dave were here, he, he could, I'm sure, tell who that was because he had some pretty good ideas too, as I remember. So between the two of us, we were thinking of a lot of stuff to do. Now, when like, you say good ideas, well, good, good has has a whole it's kind of a relative. We were coming up with ideas. I, I can't quantify that in terms of good or bad, and and delineate that very well because I don't think that's really accurate. I mean, you know, a five year old's good idea 
yeah. compared to mom's idea of a good yeah, idea. Those are definitely two different things. Yeah, definitely a different thing. Uh, okay, so so I think with given that little caveat of understanding ideas, um, good meaning from my interpretation would be fun or exciting. From David's perspective, um, I, I would have to say no on David. It would be something, it would be fun too, but it'd be more about, yeah, we can do that kind of thing. More of a practical kind of approach. We're capable of doing we're, it. Yeah, we're, yeah. So let's, let's go do that because we, we, you know, we can. Because we can, we should. Right, right. So, so anyway, we, we go, I mean, I, there's a ton of these kind of things, but anyway, this one day, I don't know what caused it, who had the idea, doesn't matter. So I won't say that anymore because it was one of the two of us that came up with what, whatever it was we did. It was one of the two of us that, and then we both agreed that this was the right thing to go do. Not about right, but this was a good thing to go do. So I'll use that word good. Anyway, so we head off down the street knowing already that we weren't supposed to be at the end of the street. Of course, the first place we head is the end of the street. And off the end of the street, you have to climb over a fence, go through a little field, you know, another 30, 40, 50 feet or whatever. And then you, then you're, you can go to the bank of the river and this is where you throw sticks and rocks and just, I mean, it's a river. What is there not to like as a kid? So we were down there doing that. And as I remember, it was raining pretty good, but you know, it's Western Oregon. It's like we were raised in the rain. So like whether it was raining or not or drizzling or whatever, probably it was a, it was a Tuesday. It wasn't a sunny day. Yeah. It was a Tuesday. Exactly. It wasn't a sunny day. It was always overcast in a lot of cases there. So it probably wasn't in the summer. It was in the spring. Like I say, with the runoff, anyway, we get down there, we're playing in the water, we're throwing rocks and all this kind of stuff. And I don't know, it seemed like we were there for not very long, 15 minutes, maybe, maybe half an hour. I doubt it because I know my mom and, um, we thought we, we need to get back cause she's going to miss us. And we're like, wow, you know, the logic. Yeah. Like and then she's going to come out there yeah, and she's, she's going to paddle your buns. So we get out there we get back on the road. Nothing happened. We, you know, we just were throwing, throwing rocks. The river was just rushing by. Remember, I'll, I'll never forget how much the river, we're seeing like logs going by and there's just like trash and stuff going by. Not trash like is in garbage, but like uh, trees and branches and stuff like. So it was swollen and it was muddy and it was like not the normal river. So I remember all that. And we were actually pretty scared of it. So we were back away from the bank. It's not like we got close because it was pretty scary. And um, so... Uh, anyway, so we take off and uh, get back on the road, and no sooner we get on the end of the road, and again, it's probably about 500 feet or so to the house from the end of the road, and we see mom marching out of the house and onto the street, and she's carrying something. So this reminds me now, maybe it was a sunnier day than I remember, because what I what is vivid in my mind is this little sparkly thing that was shining and reflecting the sunlight off of what appeared to be a knife. <laughs> and we're like, David and I went, we're looking at each other going, Oh my gosh, what is like mom's going to kill us. <laughs> what the heck? And uh, finally come. she comes out of the ditch and gets on this, on the road and she is marching like, okay. And we both knew we are in some serious trouble and she's got some oh shiny thing that is like, that looks like a knife. <laughs> we are like, Oh, I don't know whether we like grabbed each other or what we did. We stopped for a while. I, I'm not sure what exactly are physically what we did, but 
we did not want to go forward. So we must have stopped and looked at each other and gone, should we go back? <laughs> but we didn't. We kept walking towards knowing we were going to our doom. Yeah. And uh, the closer we got, the more, closer she got, then she started, I don't know what exactly she said, but it was something like, you boys. And, you know, and then it kind of went from there because it was always started with you boys. <laughs> so anyway, we get down there and oh um, and we realized it was a knife and somewhere in there it occurred to both of us that she wasn't going to use the knife on us <laughs> because she had willows that she had cut with the so knife. So that's what happened. She went out knowing the story from my mom later. She, she, oh, took, she her, went, took her kitchen oh knife Lord. out to cut willows, which were out in the ditch on the way out from the house to the road. There were some ditches, uh, there was a ditch there with a bunch of willows in it. So she whacked a couple of willows, but didn't, think about putting the knife away, but she had these two willows and she kind of put them together and walking towards us. And that's what she was carrying also in the other hand or I don't know what, yeah. but I just remember when she finally met up with us, because at this point we had, I think we were in our shorts and a t-shirt kind of thing. And she whacked us on the legs with that willow all the way back to the house. Smack, 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 smack the whole way. Don't you guys ever do that? I told you not. You know, I don't remember what she said. I just remember. I don't think we should go to the river. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, this was pretty much torturous between the blade, the shining blade, and and the willow. Yeah, we were we were done with the river. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So so so, and at that same place. Um, we, David and I got these bikes and I don't know when we got them. I seem like I remember getting them at a Christmas time. Um, but anyway, we we're on these brand new bikes that we'd had, for, I think it was Christmas. And then again, it was in the spring. So this might've all happened the same spring. I have no idea, but we, we were up this hill, we were riding up the hill and you get on this hill and just, just let it coast. Cause it was a good, a good grassy hill, you know? The grass was probably a foot high or something like that. And we get going down this hill. We've done it lots of times. Um, but this one time, we get down there and there's bumps and stuff. Well, David just kind of, boom, goes into this run rut and just disappears. He goes rolling in the grass and I'd gotten through it. or I don't know whether I went through it or over it or in another place that wasn't there or something. Anyway, there was no rut where I was. Get down to the bottom of the hill and I look back up and it's like, where's Dave? And he just like disappeared in this foot high grass, you know. And then I, so I go running back up the hill and I see him and his arm is sticking out like 90 degrees from what our elbow normally operates under. Oh my gosh. You know, instead of being straight, it's like sticking out, going away from your oh body. Oh my gosh. Like literally almost at 90 degrees. I just remember being horrified going, yeah. uh, this isn't right. <laughs> this is not supposed to be that direction. It just this doesn't is... look right. And I'm going to fix it right now. And I grab, I remember grabbing his forearm and his, I mean, his wrist and oh his, and, and his upper arm, you know, where his bicep and stuff right. is and just going and rip and uh, turned it right around. And so it was like, you know, like we were both satisfied that it looked normal. <laughs> it was now. the correct direction. <laughs> David didn't yell. There was no very, screaming. Very it's, matter of fact. It's like sure. I, I said, Dave, and he's like, I, 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 you know, yeah. And so I like bring it around and. He's like, okay. So then we walked back down to the house, and but uh, but he was obviously in pain. I mean, he must have been. I don't know how he wouldn't have been. But I reported immediately, like, you know, Dave fell on the bike or whatever, and we got that old. I, I don't know. I don't remember anything I said necessarily, but Mom uh, wrapped it up, wrapped the elbow up with ice, 
And we head to the doctor, which is in Roseburg, about whatever that was, 10, 15 miles away. And we get to the doctor's, doctor's place. And the doctor knew our family. And I, <laughs> I think that's because of us boys. I'm pretty sure. She was always in there, and there was always stuff that had happened. And this was another one of these things. So the doctor goes, well, that's awesome. I, I, I would have done just that. <laughs> It's all fixed. You know, you've got ice on it, so we kept the swelling down. It's it's set correctly. Daniel um, Perry, MD. Exactly. We're just gonna we're just gonna let it go. They casted it up, and the doc was happy. You know, but ever after that, by the way, it was his right elbow, not his left. Yeah. And so ever after that, for years, he had this kind of interesting joint. He'd go, he'd put his hand like on his on his on his uh, knee, and then have his elbow straight and he could go boom like this with his elbow and this part of your elbow which is normally like the the point of your elbow right would be sticking straight up in other words not sticking up but i mean it was turned so this part was right here yeah right right. so you put your hand normally you see that that that, he he uh, just had a wider range of rotation yeah exactly that forearm muscle is right here well that would be that point of the elbow was right here in in front of on top of that so it was another 90 degrees of rotation like seriously probably 80 or 90 degrees of rotation he so it it, people go so what's happening with your and his elbow just kind of had a little bit of a a bump there but it wasn't like you know noticeable or anything and he'd go yeah you'd go like this and just go and you could could totally look at the back of his elbow yeah Yeah. at the at the at the bend part of the elbow. nobody else can do that but he could do that and see his elbow (laughs) so that's how that ended up ever after that and um so that was one of those things that. Oh, it's a wonder was, both of you are actually still alive oh, and, and it's, in it's one just piece crazy. to adulthood. Yeah, because see, oh, earlier, geez. earlier when we were, um, when we were like in diapers kind of thing. No, we weren't either. We were still in whitey tighties. I remember that because we were sitting there with these. Um, one time again, it was raining. We were in steamboats, so this must have been. We must have been like three. Had to have been like three or four. No, I, even maybe even younger, two or three. I remember it though. It's like one of my first memories in my life. I remember this. My uncle Roy had showed up, but it was pouring rain. It was on a Saturday. It had to have been because he was up visiting, and we were um, at, at the Steamboat Ranger Station. Our house was across the river, so that would have been the second move after. So, yeah, we were probably three or four, something like that. This is before we moved to Glide. Dad got transferred down in, you know, further in, down the river and steamboats up the river. Um, Anyway, so we were at this place, lived there, and we just got moved over. Apparently, my mom tells the story anyway from out of those trailers to actually a a house. And, but I remember this house really well because it was raining like crazy this one day, and we had this, this swing set that I'm sure dad had bought or put together or whatever. Just your basic swing set with a slide on one end and then two swings. And we, we played on the thing all the time. But we um, in this rainstorm, there was this huge big mud puddle out on the side of the house that was there close to the, to the swing set. So my brother and I, just we, let's move the slide, the end of the slide, into the mud puddle. That makes sense. Because it would be a lot more fun. Yeah. So again, I don't know whose idea it was, but anyway, we got this all rearranged. So now the slide, you climb up the ladder to the slide and you know, the, the slides, this, these little ones, they're, they're like, you know, whatever, five feet high or some kind of yeah. thing at the top of the slide. It's not like this great big, huge, long slide, but five feet tall and then it slides in. Yeah. So we had that thing situated just right. So I would totally you, do this. You came off the slide and <laughs> boom, right into the, right into the, Perfect. Um, right into the mud puddle. Right into the mud puddle. And, and this was all happening while my uncle, 
Roy and mom and dad are in the house, you know, visiting and whatever else they boring, were doing. Boring, boring stuff. Up yeah, stuff. <laughs> this is like three, four-year-old stuff. This is like, and it was raining like crazy. This puddle was getting bigger and bigger. And we, I just remember how how much fun that was. And up and down the slide, up and down the slide. We were like completely mud-drenched. <laughs> Water, it was still raining, but it was just so stinking much fun. And oh, we, we started to start taking our clothes off because it, they're heavy and slogging. So we're out there now in just our whitey tidies that are now no longer whitey tidy, but no, they're, they're like Lucy and really, really brown. Yep. And, and this <laughs> mud, was like gooey mud, mud brand, yeah. kind of like water mud. Yeah, it was, oh yeah. My gosh. Anyway, we, we, it feels like we did that for an hour, but it may have only been whatever, yeah. half hour. You know how kids do the time is. We, I just know we did it till it was just super fun. And we, I think we might have started getting a little bit cold. I, I don't know. I'd have to ask my mom about this, but I think we came in the house or started to come in the house. There it is. And they saw us. And that's when all heck broke loose. For some reason, we had done something wrong. <laughs> I don't know what the that's deal crazy. was. <laughs> anyway, we just had a good time with that whole mud puddle thing, and yeah, so that was yeah. Awesome. Grandma is gonna paddle your buns. I all I remember is my uncle Roy in absolute hysterics, laughing. <laughs> Thought this was the greatest thing. He goes out and looks at what we did, and he said. That he didn't use these words, but it's like in our vernacular today, it's like that is awesome. That is the best thing these guys came up with. They came up with the idea, moved the whole swing set over, and got the slide into the bottom of the punt mud puddle. It's like, it's like perfect. That's like awesome. So he thought it was just so great. So we were going, yeah, that was great. We had a good time. And my mom is like, oh my god, Roy I, approves justification. Yeah. And so I remember some kind of exchange between Roy and my mom. So they were brother and sister, you know. Yep. And it's like, uh, shut up. This is not good. <laughs> You're not helping. Go away, you know, kind of thing. And we were like, I yeah, Uncle so Roy much. thinks this is fun. Anyway, so we had a good time with that. And and uh, that's my very, one of my early, early memories, if not my first real vivid memory, uh, you know, again, Dave and I, yeah. you know. One by myself in that place, though, and I don't know if Dave did this or not. I don't think he did. But I ended up swallowing it some other time. I don't know when, the, during that during that same house, I remember eating the whole bottle of of children's aspirin. Oh, whoa. Which were which were pink. They were these little teeny pink things. And the reason I remember they were pink is because somehow I'm glad that she did. My mom discovered that I had just, you know, tipped the bottle up and down the hatch kind of thing. And she realized that, you know, because they were all gone, obviously. I, I don't know the backstory on that, but all I remember is she fed me, she kept forcing mustard into me yeah. until I got sick enough to throw up, which is actually a pretty good idea. And so she threw up. So I, why I, this is bad and amazing in my mind. The same thing to me when I swallowed a quarter. Oh, is that really? right? She gave you mustard. Yeah, mustard. And I was, anyway, go ahead. Well, she must gag on mustard. Well, after, uh, you know, I, I got to admit at some point with yellow mustard, you totally it's do. just too much. Yeah, I, just, so I'm like yeah. done with that. Uh, the reason it's in in my mind is because I can remember looking into the toilet bowl oh, with orange, <laughs> with I mean, you know, yellow mustard everywhere and little pink, pink pills yeah. bouncing. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, like floating on yeah, the right. on the toilet okay. bowl. Okay, all right. Whole thing is full of orange, or I mean, yellow and pink pills. Dad, this is a family podcast. Yeah. You need to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gosh. Anyway, it was that's just like I think that's between either the first or second memory that I have in my life. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Oh gosh, that's yeah. Gross. So that was that was oh. pretty wild. But yeah. Anyway, 
again, they were just glad I was, I was safe, but you know, this is just the kind of stuff. And if, if that wasn't, it could have been David's idea to do it. Probably not. But I don't remember David swallowing anything. Yeah. I think that was just me. It was like, so when I would do stuff like this by myself with Dave, he he would just be watching. <laughs> he's there I, for moral I, support. <laughs> no, no. It was more of like, I wonder if he's going to get in trouble. <laughs> I'm going to see. It's kind of for observational purposes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we'll just kind of, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen. He wasn't a big reporter, though. He wasn't like a tattletale yeah. at all. We never tattletailed on each other. It's like, eh, this is not a thing. <laughs> we, we protected each other pretty well. But I think he was, a lot of times when I was doing stuff, I, I think he was pretty much... Um, just gonna watch and see how much well, trouble see, he really gets into. You, you start to build this this library, this manual that you just kind of put together, and it's all the rules of mom. Yeah. It's like what her limits are, where you can push, and it's a discovery. It's it's a blank book. You yeah. start it, and, and you just slowly over the years, you just fill this book up, and you just know. You know all of the places yeah, where where you're going to get in trouble, how, yeah. to what degree. Oh yeah, you know all this stuff, and so you know sometimes it's quite the quite the shock. You know, like mom's coming out with a knife. Oh, we really <laughs> we really did it this time. That was you know, and then other times it's <laughs> so true. Yeah, it's like this uh, mental memory <laughs> book of some kind that you just like keep track of mm-hmm. over time. Mm-hmm. David was much better at that stuff than I was. I didn't seem to have a real good memory on that kind of thing. Uh, Dave kept track of what we could get away with and not, I think. he That's why he sometimes just observed. I, he was pretty good at, at watching. He was a very good observer and watching details and stuff. So that was all, all def- kids are scientists, really. Yes, yeah. studying. <laughs> That's true. That's studying well, that everything. didn't work, huh? Let's let's do it differently this yeah. way. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's so true. Which reminds me of another story that we were experimenting on. So for Christmas, we were up in the Tokyo Falls Ranger Station now, and we were in like the I want to say third or fourth grade, something like that. And we got these this bow and arrow set. Each of us did bow oh and arrow set gosh. at Christmas time. We, this was awesome. By the way, this is the place where there was, where there was like this. Uh, the ranger station had some, had a big field. There was really nothing in it. And then on the other side of the field, towards the mountains, right there was a mountain that kind of went up right off of the ranger station, off to the east, and um, it was a pretty steep hill. I mean, like like you would be like. To climb up it, you would be you would have to climb. You couldn't just walk. So you'd be like hand and foot. You know, you're grabbing onto things to pull yourself up. It was a pretty steep hill coming off this. But at the foot of that hill was a whole big field of stumps. So I think what they really did now knowing about it, there was this aired field that was cleared. Well, they cut the trees down and then bulldozed the stumps off to the side of the foot of the hill. So it left this great big field. Well, there's other stories with that. But we used to play football and other kinds of stuff out in this big field. And it was big, you know, like probably, it probably was close to 60 to 70 feet I mean, uh, yards long and probably 20 or 30, maybe maybe 40 feet wide, something like that. I've driven up there as an, as an adult, and it's, it's, that's about right. But at the foot of the hill, then, then uh, out towards the east, towards the mountains, then was this whole big field of stumps, and there was all kinds of little trails that we made. And that we had so much fun, David and I, playing, you know— Cowboys and Indians playing, you know, hunters. We were stalking different deer. We seriously, we would run into deer like on a regular basis in those stumps, and we would be chasing them, it's like running down the little pathways chasing deer. We did this like all the time. Yeah. So then to get bow and arrows, it's now like, we could actually do something. <laughs> yeah. Even though, yeah, three or four years, three or four, third or fourth grade, it's like not really. But we 
this was like man up kind of thing. So we're like, okay, cool. So we get these bow and arrow. The very first thing I remember doing, and I really think this was my idea. I'm, I'm pretty sure it was my idea. We get out there in this in this field, and the very first thing we do is oh, chalk I'm, up an I arrow, notch an arrow, and no. point straight up in the air, straight up, and let it get in the air. Yeah, pulled it back full strength uh, yeah. as far as we could oh, go. Oh my goodness! Boom, let it go. So we're like. Standing yeah. there, looking up in the air, <laughs> watching Where did the, the arrow, arrow go? go. What oh happened to the arrow? God. Looking straight up, it's like, could we have done something in a more stupid manner? <laughs> I'm not sure, but that's what we did. You're both and lucky to be alive. I know. And fortunately, the arrow came down right next to us, and we both went, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> Did you see it? No, I didn't see it. Like, yeah, well, it's stuck in the ground, like a foot and a half away from us, you know, kind of thing. We're going, oh, my gosh. It's terrible. <laughs> I distinctly <laughs> remember doing this with John and Stan, but we were older. <laughs> and we still did that. Well, here's the next thing. It's like, well, I don't think we should do that again. So let's just point them at each other. <laughs> <laughs> so we kind of stood back further and and pointed them right at each other and let go. <laughs> It's like, oh my word, what what is it with boys and this kind of stuff? Well, maybe it's just me and my brother, but we did that no, for a while. No, that it, is universal. Yeah. Then we hit each other. Both of us got hit at different times. And it was like, oh, ow. Jeez. That wasn't very much fun. Let's go, let's go shoot at things. Yeah. So then we we spent <laughs> it's an evolution. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I can remember spending we just took those everywhere oh and, until goodness. they were broken. Right. So we like every day. We were we were shooting the bow and arrow at something, but we did learn not to shoot at each other, and we never did get it like a, an eye poked out or whatever. Yeah, now I survived the first trial of ra- the right, first round of, of right. experience. So now I understand why my mom and dad refused to buy BB guns for us. Totally makes sense to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we would have shot at each other, and the big thing my mom kept saying is like, "No, you're going to shoot each other's eyes out." And I'm convinced that that would have happened, especially since my my cousin Mike and David and I, they got he got a a BB gun for Christmas, and he was like a year older than us, or I can't remember how old Mike was compared to David. I think a year older than Dave. Yeah, he was a year older than Dave. And we were in their backyard one time in Roseburg visiting them, and Mike goes, "Hey, let's I've got a BB gun. Whatever we get, I remember getting back out there, and it was a hot summer day. We were like, we got no shirts on. We just had our shorts on and." And, and shoes or whatever, maybe not even with shoes. And we start shooting this piece of plywood, you know, from like five feet away or 10 or I don't know. It was, it was a little ways, but not too far, probably, probably 10 feet away. And we kept hitting it and the BBs would hit the plywood and come back and hit us. <laughs> so we just kept going because like it didn't hurt. And so, so I kind of got the idea, well, maybe because one of the, one of them hit, hit the mic, I think on his face somewhere, but it wasn't in his eye. So we just kept shooting. So, you know, no harm, no foul. And I remember yeah. getting hit in my, my stomach or my chest with it. So then I never really complained about not having a BB gun, you know, David and I, yeah. but we did ask for him. I remember asking like several Christmases in a row, we, we need BB guns. Mm-hmm. And after the bow and arrow experience, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what that was all about. We're not going to get, but no, absolutely not. <laughs> So, yeah, but Dave and I, we did, we just palled around all the time. We, all those years uh, on the ranger stations, we just, we were always hunting, hiking, had some kind of ideas that we were doing. We were always out there, always outside going somewhere, Uh, uh, chasing deer down in the stump field there off to the east of our house. And 
you know, we were just always coming up with different things to go do. And there was a big reservoir there, the Tokity Falls Reservoir. And I say reservoir because there was a, a dam. That's what the, we were there with the Forest Service and the and PPNL, which was uh, Pacific Power and Light, had a dam. Then they were producing electricity from this dam, uh, or from the overflow, obviously. Um, and so there was a reservoir, and that Tokity Falls Lake was was awesome. We fish down there all the time. We go up, catch grasshoppers in this field off to the side of the house, take grasshoppers down with hooks and hook and bait. You know, as using grasshoppers bait and hook the hook the grasshopper and head out to the lake, grab, you know, get a can of, of grasshoppers, then go down and go fishing. It doesn't, I don't remember ever really catching anything of significance, Yeah, but it was just fun to go do. We were out there doing a lot of time. One time we get this idea that we needed to, uh, to uh, actually do a, we need to make a raft. So we started doing these different, you know, logs and stuff and trying to make it work, but we didn't really know how to do it very well. And my dad, I guess on a Saturday, we showed him what we were doing. He's like, oh, no, let's, we, we got to make a raft. So so we helped us. We went and got, like, he went and cut some trees down, a couple of big, you know, they were like foot and a half in diameter. So we made a pontoon kind of raft. Oh, that is with, rad. With the, uh, with the the cross beams going across that between the two awesome. logs. And it was, we're like, oh, this is incredible, you know. So we're using the pole and we had some paddles and we roared around, not really roared because everything you're doing was really slow because it, <laughs> it was a big catamaran. It doesn't even matter. You're out there. This it, is some now real we're in the middle of the stuff. lake. Yeah, it was crazy fun. It was just like so much fun. And for some reason, my mom had this issue about us being out there without her. She didn't want us to go swimming or, or anything without her being around. <laughs> and, you know, but we were down there Mothers, all the time know. in the summer. We were down there constantly on the shore doing stuff, fishing or whatever. You know, it's just like everything you could possibly think of that would be fun to do with the lake and a shoreline and, yeah. and two boys that are, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade kind of thing. We were there till we were in the sixth grade. So this must have been a little bit older, fifth or sixth grade. Anyway, we were told this one time. Um, well, not one time. I'm sure we were told this many times. <laughs> Don't go swimming, you know, unless I'm there. Well, we get down there and it was a hot day. And we're but like, mom. Like, you know. <laughs> so we decided we are not going to do this without her. We, she's not going to know. So we actually <laughs> took we actually took towels down with us. We snuck towels into a, a little backpack. We, we secretly combined. Yeah. yeah. So we're like, and, and again, I don't know whose idea it was. I, again, I'm sure it was mine. Or not that he didn't have good ideas. It's just that you know I'm the one that was the instigator. I think. But we both really wanted to do this. So I remember getting some towels. We head down to the lake. We sneak the towels out of the house. Head down to the lake, and we're out there doing all kinds of stuff, fishing and stuff. We're, we're you know canoeing out. I mean, you know, paddling out with the with the catamaran and stuff. And we we decided we're just she'll never know if we just take our clothes. So we just like totally stripped down to nothing, and we go skinny dip, and we're just <laughs> jumping off the catamaran into the water, and it was like awesome. It was really fun, and uh, get back in there. Then we just like now we got to get home. So we dried off and everything, and put our clothes back on. It's like well now what do we do with the wet towel? Yeah, could not figure out how to do that. So. And I know this was my idea because it was a stupid idea. So I know that this was was mine. And it's like, but Dave went along with it. So it's like, again, maybe he was just observing to see how much trouble we were really going to get into. Who's the more foolish, the yeah. fool or the fool who follows him? Yep. So we stuck the towels underneath our Nobody backs, knows. put the shirt over top. Again, the towels were wet oh and we gosh. had a shirt that was dry. And so you're like, it doesn't take long as an adult to figure out what this looked like. <laughs> you know, it wasn't the hunchback of Notre Dame. It was like, yeah, just put under the back and it was all wet and we're like hunched over and yeah. Anyway, so we get up there to the house and I remember walking in the house in the front door and we 
had to get to the bathroom to get the towel out of from under our, our shirts. And, and mom comes, it's like, oh, we're home, mom, or whatever. And I, it was some kind of a greeting, I remember. And I goes, where where you guys been? Oh, just down to the lake, you know, on the on the raft and stuff. And it's like, okay, did, a, did, did you? And she sees us going by her. What a couple did, of Did you fibers. guys go swimming? No. <laughs> no. Did you go swimming? No. No, we didn't go swimming. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Are you sure? Nope. We didn't go swimming. We go in the bathroom, take the towel off. It's like, how stupid. My gosh. I mean, what do you think we were? You guys have got, yeah. off, got scot-free. Yeah, we're thinking, right? good. And then, and then it was like, it was all good. Mom didn't say another word. Um, And then I can't remember exactly how that all played out, but dad got home. Um, You know, so this was in the afternoon, sometime, whatever. Anyway, mom says, I think you boys are lying to me. What are you talking about? It's like, well, no, we're, we, we didn't go swimming. It's like, yeah, you're, you're lying to me. Well, how do you know? I just, I just feel like you're, you're lying to me. But, you know, obviously she saw her shirts, you know, the whatever, the whole thing. We're like, yeah, we, we think we got it all. We're she good. doesn't want to educate you yeah, for, she, for the next time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So dad gets home and this much I do remember very well. And that is, um, he comes in and says, you boys went swimming and we're like, no. And we go on. You're going to keep lying because here's the towel and here's your wet shirt providing, you know, solid evidence. And so I know you went down there and you were sneaking about it. So that was one thing that was wrong. And then you lied about it, which is the other thing wrong. And so now you're going to have to be punished for sneaking around and lying to your mom. Yep. There it is. So David, you go in your bedroom and Dan, you go in my bedroom and in the top drawer, you find the belt that you'd like me to whip you with. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> and I remember thinking that, oh my gosh, I get to pick. I get to pick. <laughs> so I opened up the top drawer and I remember looking in there, there's like four or five different belts all rolled up, you know. <laughs> and I kept going through my mind. It's like, do I want the thin one? There it is. Yeah, <laughs> or the, the, or thick the thick one. one. <laughs> do I want the light one or the heavy one? Yeah. <laughs> and I, there was probably four or five different varieties of belts, but I I remember the indecision that I had looking in the top drawer going, wow, which one is going to be the least yep. impactive? Yep. <laughs> which one's going to hurt the less of the two? Anyway, and I ended up going with the thicker one yep. and regretted it, wondering, wonder if that thin one would have been better. But anyway, oh it was over with with two things. He pulled it in half, held the two ends, and smacked so it has a double kind of a yep. whack, you know? Yeah. And it, it didn't feel like I was being abused at all. I just like never would forget that it was yeah. not a thing to do. We shouldn't be lying uh, and sneaking around, which actually, till I remember, we, we really never did sneak around and lie after that. We Mom would say something, and we were like, no, well, we, that is true. That's what we did. And, you know, later didn't, on, didn't we were- didn't stop us from doing anything. It just, no, we kept we doing just stuff. We never lied about it ever. <laughs> yeah. You know, my and my dad and mom both when we were when we were older, David and I were like fourteen or fifteen, or maybe more like high school, like yeah, like sixteen. And um we were in Corvallis at that time and moved away from the ranger station and so on. We were in high school and I remember um both of them saying, Now, if you two guys if you're gonna drink, I want you to just come home, we'll just drink here. I don't want you out I don't want you drinking with your buddies and then driving around. That's if you're fair. gonna drink, I'll buy the beer but you're going to have it here. Yeah. So you can invite your friends to the house and we're going to do it here, but we're not going to go, uh, you know, I don't want you driving, you know, driving out to some place and parking with a bunch of buddies and drinking and, and then trying to get home safely. So, so don't lie to me about it. Just 
tell me that's what you guys want to go do. And I was like, fine, well, I'll provide the beer and we'll do it here. And this is funny because my dad was the eldest president at this time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we were like, Dave and I, I remember we were like 15, 16 years old. Well, and, and, um, cause you know, we were only 11 months apart. So it felt like we felt, I felt like we were raised as twins is kind of how it always felt to me. But, but I remember that going, it's like, well, that's weird. That kind of like takes all the fun out of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we can't sneak around, but we remember the sneaking lesson back in the day. So we're going, okay. But it really did totally like take all the wind out of our sails. And I've, I've never really been wanted to go off with the guys and go, you know, drinking or whatever. It's like never one of those things. And David didn't either. We just never, neither one of us wanted to do that kind of thing. And maybe because of these different things, I, I don't know, but we just never wanted to go do that. Um, yeah, but when he offered that, I just remember thinking, well, that's not fun. <laughs> What's with that? Anyway, so we just never did. <laughs> so, well, drinking just doesn't sound that much fun anymore. Oh, yeah. Forget that noise. Perfect. Mission accomplished. Exactly. <laughs> but David, David and I were really close friends uh, all the way, to, uh, well, really uh, through, through junior high as well. It started, we started separating more in junior high. You know, that's part of that age. You're getting... You know, you're getting older and David had some quirks, you know, you, you guys know that he, he had cerebral palsy. And so he would, he had some shakes. He couldn't read very well and he couldn't write very well at all. But when you're a kid and you're like, you don't have to worry about school, like who cares? Who cares? It doesn't, just doesn't matter. It never was an issue. But in junior high, they wanted to set him into this special ed area. So now he was, he was over there and I was with these other people. So I was normal, whatever that means. And he was, you know, in special ed. So he had some other stuff that he, he had different classes he was going to. So we didn't really know the same teachers. We didn't really have the same friends at that point. Cause we were kind of like doing two different things. But when we first got there, we were still pretty tight. This is like seventh grade. We were still pretty tight. And, and for some reason, uh, we, we would either ride our bikes. Well, typically we rode our bikes home and it was good, a good, and I've done this as an adult now, gone back and looked at that. It was a good two, maybe even three miles home from the junior high, Whoa. from our house on 53rd Street. So we rode our bike every day, unless it was like freaking pouring rain, even drizzly days, I remember still riding my bike. Um, and I, it was still the bikes we had. We just kind of kept modifying them a little bit. It was the Stingray. We both had Stingrays, which is basically this long, elongated sort of a banana seat. And the back of the seat was actually had pole uh, had uh, posts that were mounted to the rear axle of the bike. And then you had the handlebars, which looked like chopper handlebars on a motorcycle kind of thing. Yeah. They were up front. So that oh, was that called is, a Stingray bike at that time. Fun. And they actually were pretty cool. You could actually ride double. Somebody could be behind you in the seat, the long, because right. it's a banana seat, you know. And you could actually ride two people. And we did sometimes in certain, certain circumstances. Um, anyway, so we were when we first moved there, this was like a major, like we were like I said, we were raised out in the woods chasing deer. Well, then big, big shift for us. We moved into the big, huge city of Corvallis, Oregon, which had 15,000 people at that time. Oh, slow down. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was like really big. Well, compared to, you know, the what, 60 people in on the ranger station with, between PPNL and us, yeah, that was about it. So we, it was a major social adjustment for both of us. We we both of us grew up in a in a, in a three-room school, you know. And we were both in the same grade. They held David back one year. So he and I were always in the same grade. So we were all the way fifth, third, fourth, fifth, 
sixth grade, that, that school went up to the sixth grade. We left there when we both finished the sixth grade. So then when we moved into Corvallis, the big metropolis, like I said, of Corvallis, which again was like 15,000 people total when we first got there. And it was a college town, OSU, you know, Oregon right. State University and the Beavers. And I remember that because of all the games David and I went to with, uh, wearing our scout uniform because we got into the game for free on Saturdays if you wore your scout uniform and helped <laughs> usher. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool, actually. So we'd always show up there like at 9 o'clock in the morning for a game that was 1 o'clock and, you know, <laughs> because we could wander around the field. And it was pretty cool. It was As a, as a kid, it was pretty fun. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, and we just all you had to do is wear your scout uniform. Well, of course, we were in scouts, so we you know, we went and did that all, every Saturday, like every single Saturday during the season. So <laughs> so I'll, because I think I'm still really at heart, still really a, a, a Beavers fan. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I get Bruce and, and Kim. I was like, yeah, they're, they're both, they're mixed up because they both graduated from OSU and they both graduated from U of O. Wow. Their master's degrees were yeah, in, at U of O. Exactly. So I'm like, man, you guys are seriously conflicted. But anyway, so, and then, so they, <laughs> they actually follow both. Um, but their undergrads were, both of them was, were at OSU. So I'm a Beavers fan with them. But anyway, but not a Ducks fan. Anyway, so we we um, did that on a regular study. But this, this when we first moved there to Corvallis, it was really socially, man, it was a shift. I just remember being how difficult it was socially to adjust. So we went from a, a three-room grade school, elementary school, and we're there. And I remember in the sixth grade, it was David, me, Caroline, and one other girl. Four people in the sixth grade. There might have been five. I don't remember who else there was, but that was it in in the in the sixth grade when we graduated from elementary school. If you could do such a thing, when <laughs> when we left the sixth grade, there was like five or six students. From there, we went to junior high, Western View Junior High there in Corvallis, and we went in there with one hundred and seventy seventh graders. Yeah, that's a massive. That's a big difference jump, yeah. in social. Uh, like we didn't even have a clue, and these kids are one. Of course, a lot of them came up through up through the sixth grade in the same area. Yeah, so they're familiar. Their parents with... were professors or whatever else, and different things that were going on. Their forest service was a big area there, and Chum Hill. There was a lot of different businesses and stuff, but they all grew up in that area. You know, baseball in the summertime and whatever else. And we came in in the fall and didn't know a soul and totally different social environment. We were living on the outskirts of town in this little 53rd street on the house on 53rd um, that my dad and mom remodeled uh, were remodeling while we were living there. And it was kind of like a, a ranchette thing. We had, we had pigs and, and uh, a, a, we had a couple of sheep. I remember that. And we had some rabbits. Anyway, I remember all those because of different memories, but um, because of different uh, events that happened with those different animals. But so we were like, Still trying to country, but not like we didn't move in like into a subdivision in town. It was a parcel of land on 53rd Street there. So we were really, really the country bumpkins, you yeah. know, really the hillbillies, actually, is what you would really look at it like. Moving into the big, sophisticated university town, and we're hicks, yep. you know, from, from the woods, like literally from the woods. <laughs> yeah. And so summer activities were different and everything. But I remember one time we, we had these different issues and we, for so, so we were getting picked on, on a fairly regular basis. That first year, David and I got picked on quite a bit. Um, and people were always trying to pick fights with us. They were doing different things and to us. And one time I remember um, we had a couple of, no, it wasn't either two. It was just one guy who had been a particularly notorious bully. Not only to us, but to others. But he picked on, he decided to take both of us on because he looked at both of us as being pretty, you know, picked on type people or pickable people or whatever you want to call it. 
And uh, so we picked a fight with this, and we were on our way home. We were riding our bikes on the way home, and I can't remember what exactly he did, but yeah, we we needed to to stop and defend ourselves. I, I can't remember what led up to it, but I just remember um, we weren't on our bikes. They were laying on the side of the road, and this is on the way home, so we're on the side of the road kind of thing. There was a bike path part of it, part of the way, but not not all of it. Anyway, I don't know what was on the bike path. Anyway, we weren't on the road, off the side of the road, and and this kid is is you know throwing throwing fists at us and we're and he hit me and I went down and and remember David jumped on his back and then he you know he pulled David off anyway so it was two David and I against this one guy and he was a I remember him being a pretty big strong guy you know a kid you know and he was he was holding his own against us but the two of us ganged <coughs> excuse me ganged up together on him and he 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 walked away uh, I mean he left having been beaten up pretty good by the two of us. So we, I don't know exactly how we did it or what we did. I don't remember the, the right hook or whatever it was, but you know, we got rid of him and we were super proud of ourselves and we never got picked on after that as long as we were together. So, yeah. Right. Anyway, so that was one of those things that David and I yeah. ganged up together on and defend ourselves. But we, I guess what I was saying is we really kind of got separated more uh, as we went into you know, junior high, because he was in a different group of people because of the way that that was there. So we weren't in the same class. I, I never remember David and I being in the same class, like all the way through high school. We just weren't in the same environment, same people, same friends, like at all, except for senior year. So anyway, those are a lot of good memories from all those years and uh, with Dave. But one of the things I remember most about him, just he just, as we kind of separated more, you know, now you get into high school, you've got this, all these social elements and stuff. And it was, you know, I remember joining in with some of my friends in making fun of, you know, the special ed kids of which my brother was one of that group. And instead of being on my brother's side, I was, of course, thinking that was good to be making fun of him. In those are years I, I feel ashamed that that's what we did, but that's, that is what I did. I was, I wasn't very good to him and that, that harmed our relationship quite a bit. Um, but again, like I say, there's a lot of regrets with all that. I, it, I've, I've apologized profusely over the years with him about that, but you can't take it back. I mean, that's how I was. And so I was, and I grew into be pretty much a jerk. My two sisters would totally agree that that's pretty much what I was like in junior high. I mean, in high school as well. But then we moved to, moved to Bend, Oregon, totally got changed friends, uh, different set of friends. And these were guys, these other friends were really good, really good friends. And uh, they adopted David and I right away. Um, David kind of went a little bit different direction because he just, he was different at that time. He was, he was, you know, we, we, and I were both basically the same size as each other and grew up that way. But, but, you know, he had these different quirks. And by that point I was kind of, you know, not, I, I won't say I was, uh, I shunned him, but we weren't real close. And, but we did do different things together and they accepted both of us together in that, in that group of members of the church that were in the ward there. And there was about, I want to say 10 or 12 of us, maybe total, but most of the time there was six or seven that we always piled around together in the, my senior year. And David, and I, David was with me some of those times, but he actually didn't. He was, had some other, other people, other friends, because I, you know, didn't treat him very well, I think. And plus he had, he just wanted to make friends with other people. 
um, and I don't know all the stuff there, but anyway, he, he would know more there, but I just know that we, that I, I didn't treat him very well. And so we weren't, we'd kind of, you know, drifted apart, um, during those years since then, of course, he's, you know, or after that time. And we, then he, he, we graduated from high school and he, um, again, we graduated the same year, but then he, he, I, I went off to college and he stayed home and uh, I don't know what he did. He must have worked. Again, I don't remember. I'm out of touch with that part because we were really running different lives at that point. I went off to college to, to BYU with my friends. And uh, Dave had, again, had his own friends working, that kind of stuff. And then we we went from there. Uh, he left on his mission. Um, and I remember saying goodbye to him at the airport. And he was gone. And then, you know, like six or eight months or whatever it was later, I, I left on my mission. He went to South Carolina. I went to England. And, you know, we just had totally different things that happened to us. And, uh, you know, if Dave were here, he could tell you a lot of those stories. But he did not have a good time out there. It was probably knowing, you know, all the stuff from hearing about what went on on his mission while as, as an adult, you know, older older kid or man, whatever. Um, a lot of really bad things happened to him out there. Companions, they were way worse to him than what I was in high school with him. You know, treated him really poorly and uh, really bad, really abusive stuff they did to him. And he, you know, yeah, he wanted to come home a couple of different times and I wouldn't blame him at all for how he got treated. His companions were, some, some of them, there were a couple of them that were really good, but most of them were just, uh, not very good, and then there was a few that were just horrible to him, just absolutely horrible to him. Treated him like dirt, um, and I never did do that. I, even in high school, I was like, I didn't. I was more neutral, and then sometimes put in a jab or two here, make you know, do things that weren't weren't good. I wasn't good at all. I'm not saying that. I'm not excusing myself, but I was never horrible to him. Some of these companions he had were just horrible. Did did some horrible things to him, um, just terrible mistreatment of him. And he, he kind of ran away for a while there and, and came back. But those things taught him a lot of stuff. And I know he'd been experiencing that kind of thing probably since junior high, honestly, how he was treated. And uh, I know that I know that it did have a, a, you know, a really negative impact on him over those years. And it, it, it changed him. But interestingly, after his mission, I guess he got, in fact, I know talking to him later on after his mission, we he got he got to where it's like I got to decide whether I'm going to hate everybody around me, or I'm just going to love people and ignore that and just you know let things be as they are and and just love people and that's where David he just uh, had this real forgiving heart and was willing to you know just kind of take things as they were. He was very good at accepting things as they are and not about. Uh, judging people, of course, obviously he'd been judged a lot and harshly in many cases, and falsely. You know, th- you know, this is the same guy that the doctors told him when he was when he told my mom when he was younger that he would never be able to walk. He wouldn't be able to, you know, maybe probably be able to crawl, but we're not sure. Certainly wouldn't be able to walk. Never ride a bicycle. Uh, he'd never be able to finish school. You know, um, would never be able to read and write ever. That's that's what they told him, you know. And for years they told him that. Mom was like not convinced. We're gonna we're gonna make sure that that doesn't happen. We're gonna get him so he can do as normal of things as his brother. And I remember being told when you know when we were in the younger, I don't know, fifth, 
must have been fourth, fifth grade, that kind of thing. It's like, just kind of back off, Dan. You don't need to like, you know, I don't want you to have your, your brother feel bad because you're doing well in this area. And the fact is I really wasn't doing that well, but I mean, it was, I was more, um, uh, what do you call it? Physically capable than he was. Um, mentally, I don't think there was any, you know, in a lot of ways, David's was smarter than me and equally as smart as I am. Not that I'm smart, but you know, we, mentally there was no thing. It was just physically he, he wasn't keeping up as much. Anyway, I, I remember backing off a little bit, but as we got older, that just wasn't a thing. But David, you know, learned how to, uh, you know, walk fine when he was way younger. He could do pretty much everything we could do. We we still did all the stuff up into the sixth grade. We we ran, we chased deer together. There was no issue. He, I remember, I don't remember him ever being behind me, like chasing deer or whatever. So he could do all that stuff. Uh, we had bikes together. So he learned how to ride a bike. He could, he could do all that stuff. And a lot of that is, I think, attributed to mom. And she just like convinced that we're going to, we're going to make this happen. We, he can, he can do this. And so I think David learned a lot of, a lot of just pure grit and determination to just to figure out what it took and just to go do it. And maybe I, maybe I was a motivation for him. I have no idea. We've never actually talked about whether he felt a motivation to, to stay up with me when we were younger. I don't know. I just don't remember any kind of anomaly until we started getting into junior high and we went from the country into the big city and all these people and social, and I'm more of a social person. And he got ostracized and marginalized by the society that we were in. And I, I was trying to get it, be accepted by those same people that were ostracizing him. It separated us. And but up until that time, I don't remember really noticing a difference physically with him. He just did all the stuff that I did. And we were, I never thought anything different of it. I just felt, you know, we were, we were, close. Uh, but then obviously when he got older in junior high and stuff, then I, I started noticing things because he would shake. He'd be walking and he'd be kind of, his arms would shake a little bit involuntarily. As he got older, when you guys knew him, he he didn't really shake that much like that. He does this a little bit, but didn't very much. He had he either just grew out of it or learned how to control it. I, I don't know. Again, never ask him about that part of it. Um, but, you know, learned how to write. He wasn't like a perfect writer by any means, but he could write, you know, with a pencil and do just fine, communicate stuff. Didn't, didn't, it wasn't super clear. He still shook quite a bit. So it'd be like trying to write when you're, when your hand's shaking. So you kind of, it looks like an old person's handwriting is what this would look like, but it was legible. You know, you could, you could read it, do it fine. He had, he struggled reading. He didn't, didn't, wasn't ever really super good at reading. He was not a guy who ever sat down and read a book. But then again, neither did I until I was, you know, in college, honestly, really reading heavily. I never was a, we had the mobile library that would show up in Tokety Falls. And I mean, like I would rent two books for the summer and got to the end of the summer and I'd turn them back in and never had read them. <laughs> so I was not a big reader either. So there's just stuff like that that was just not noticeable to me and, 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 uh, so he, he, you know, he started doing those kind of things and, and just, um, but he, he overcame a lot of that stuff. So I look at him like a lot of that was his overcoming of those things really made him who he was, a non-judging, very practical person, very um, matter of fact about stuff and didn't have any qualms about kind of telling you what he thought it was like and what it was. Didn't have any, you know, wasn't, wasn't super idealistic about stuff. 
And you look at where he came from and what stuff he went through in his life. It's like, yeah, he's going to have to be pretty practical about stuff. But I mean, he went to, went to work, got, got jobs. He, hard worker, understood things. I went to work for that Pago Electric there when we were, when I was in, when we were both in our thirties, late thirties, mid, no, mid thirties, I should say. And, you know, he was employable, hardworking guy. Um, some people didn't, you know, they was like, oh, we're not going to hire a person like that, you know, because he did shake and there was a few things like that that were, that were noticeable. But, you know, the guys at Pago Electric there in, in Cornelius, they, the guy hired him and they thought, they thought the world of Dave. Everybody gets to know him. They just, they loved him. And a hard worker and figured stuff out. He ran that whole area in the back warehouse there. From there, he went to Oregon Electric and that was the last job he ended up having because he was there for what? 25 years or something like that, 20 years, uh, doing warehousing stuff and kept track of all the things, kept things running, knew how to fix stuff really well. Um, again, just figured out how to do stuff with his hands and just would figure stuff out and, and make things work. Um, so he, in my opinion, he overcame all the physical things that, that were uh, hampering him and was able to function at, at a very high level and do everything that you know you would need to do and uh, just have a, have a lot of good memories of that. And I, the other thing I guess I think it's important to, with Dave is um, because of that and maybe other things, I don't know, but he was just always very generous. He was always willing to do whatever. So we would, we would still do stuff. Like when we moved from uh, that, we had that short stint when we moved to Boise um, back in the day. And, um, Boise, that was kind of a fun area because we went went from basically I got this job working for Tandy and the whole thing Tandy Computers. I was trying to sell computers, competing against IBM PC, which was first came out, and I was like lame. Tandy didn't compete, you know. I didn't make it. It was a hundred percent commission job, and so basically we were starving to death. And it's like we lasted for like a month on savings things, and we're like we got to get out of here. So we took off, left our stuff in the apartment, and headed to Corvallis. That's where John and Karen were. We ended up staying with them for a little while, and we're going. We we gotta, you know, I gotta get my stuff out of there because it's in an apartment. Where the the month end was coming, and you know, I said, Dave, do you want to go with me? And it's like, yeah. So he was always willing to jump in. So we rented this this uh, U-Haul, and went across from Corvallis all the way across to Oregon into Boise. Went to the got to the apartment about. Uh, we rented. I think it was like nine o'clock in the morning. We got there. It's like eight hours away, and got there and loaded up the whole thing. The the trailer. He and I did the whole apartment, all of our stuff. Loaded into this U-Haul, and uh, slept for three or four hours. Uh, but we had to have it back by nine o'clock the next morning. Otherwise, we had to pay another day of rent. So he was just always game for stuff. And we just like and then we lo- took off and switched off driving, and you know made it back to to the place. Unloaded everything into the storage and turned the, the U-Haul trailer or truck in before nine o'clock the next day. So we did the whole thing in 24 hours, but Dave was always game. He would do it. Like, and we were, we were both about the same size, basically size of mine now and you guys. And, um, he was taller than me. I think he was six, three. And, uh, and, um, but we were both like physically able and we just like did stuff like that. We would just take off and go do, um, so, but David loved to fish with, with dad and do other stuff with dad. And I, we, dad and I didn't really get along on that kind of stuff. David had the patience, I guess, to do it. And, and he was more patient person than me by a long ways. Oh my gosh, by a long ways. So he would go do that kind of stuff. And, um, 
you know, so we were, and we'd go hunting together, and David and him and dad, David, me and dad would go hunting quite a bit, uh, deer hunting, and when we lived in Corvallis, um, and uh, before senior, so it was like junior high, or I mean, excuse me, high school kind of thing, and um, but not our senior year. Our senior year, we moved to Bend. But anyway, while we were living in Corvallis, there, we, I remember one time, um, it just kind of re- gives you a reflection of what Dave was like, um, we... Uh, I didn't go with them. David and Dad, they just love to go do stuff more than that. I just I just wasn't interested in that as much. And uh, so that's why I probably haven't passed this on to you guys because it's like it wasn't that important to me. Yeah. But David just loved it and, and Dad loved it. So they, they just did stuff together a lot, and which was fine with me. I had, you know, in high school, like I was more interested in girls and, you know, yeah. my buddies than I was in doing stuff with David and Dad. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so he they went hunting this one time, and we we got bow and arrows again, but these were like for real bow and arrows, you know, that would that would be able to kill deer, sharp points, the whole thing. And uh, I wasn't there; they were there, but we hear the stories afterwards. But coming back, they they were they were so they'd um, I I can't remember if they got a deer or not. I don't remember. It was one of the hunting trips again. I don't know. You'd go in the summer, in in that time of year, you'd go. You know, hunting season was like six six or eight weeks long in the, in the mountains there. And, uh, I mean, in the Cascades and, um, at that time and they would go out, you know, so they'd go like two or three times a week in the evening, you know, kind of thing, drive out to the unit or different areas where you could hunt. And so they were often one of those things. It was, I think this was on like a Saturday, if I believe, if I think it was correct. Cause dad had the day off. And so I think it was during the day they went, I was doing something. I don't remember what it was. I remember hearing this all afterwards, but it was really quite the story. Cause he, and I, I've gone over it with him several times because it is, it was quite the experience, but anyway, he goes to get in and he had the bow and arrow there. And on, uh, the way that they would do the arrows is you'd have your arrows with the points up and they were attached to the bow itself. And you'd keep your bow strong because if you're hunting with the rig, you want to be able to get out and then and have it accessible, pull your arrow off, notch the arrow, and, and be hunting. So the arrows are up like this off the bow, up pointing up, and the arrows were split halfway between the handle of your bow, the top and, and the bottom of your arrows would be. And so the middle of the arrow was basically at the handle where you would grip the bow. Anyway, so that's where it was. And so he'd be doing that. He, he moved over and we wanted to scoot into the seat, and this was in the in the the blue Ford F one fifty that my dad had, and it was nineteen seventy five. I remember seventy four, seventy must have been a seventy three or seventy four. Anyway, because we weren't graduated from high school, and it was a brand new truck. Anyway, so we he he got in, and then somehow he had his right hand on the bow with the arrows in it, and it ended up basically ended up sitting on an arrow, and it oh went clear goodness. up through his thigh, right next to his femur. No. Yeah, up, up up high, like about midway between his knee and his hip bone, and the arrow went through his skin. I mean, obviously went through up into his up through the flesh and everything, and was stick. The tip of the arrow was sticking out at the top of his Holy leg. Holy buckets! And yeah, and it was pretty. Uh, it was bleeding like crazy because this is what the arrow was meant to do. In fact, when it goes does and does that, there's another arrow, another piece of the arrow that's supposed to go out and flop out. And that is meant to cause more damage because the idea with hunting with an arrow is you want the the animal to bleed out quickly. You know, that's the whole idea. So you want to puncture it in a way that you're going to be in a place where it's going to bleed out. So pretty much that's what happened to his leg. So it hit him, went up through here, and it's bleeding like crazy. And dad didn't know. He didn't like if you pull it back out, then those barbs are out and would cut it even worse, which is totally true. Or you pull it all the way through. 
You know, again, David had this super high threshold of pain, as we know from the elbow experience and other experiences. And so That's dad decided, so he thought we got this sheet there because he had a sheet from, because you wrap up the animal after it's already, you, you've killed it, you got it out usually and then and, and wrap it or maybe skin it and then wrap it in the muscle, in the map up, wrap up the carcass after you got the deer. So he had sheets. So he got these sheets and he wrapped his leg up with the arrow in because he didn't want to pull it out or go all the way through, because now you've got to go through all the feathers, all the whole length of the shaft. Plus, it would injure the opening a little bit more because you had to push it through more, because it was just the tip sticking out. Now, I mean, the very tip, like a quarter of an inch of the tip is all. Anyway, so he wraps this up. They're kind of freaking out, and, you know, it was like he's bleeding. He had to stop the bleeding. And there's a bunch of stuff spiritually that happened. They're like, you know, Dad got some inspiration about what to do and all this other kind of stuff. So it's like, so he wrapped it all up, and they – head for the hospital in Corvallis and they're up in the, up in the woods, you know, it took them 45 minutes to an hour to get out of the woods, to get to the hospital and they get there. Anyway, he's able to get, you know, they, they operate and get the arrow out and, you know, cut it off or whatever. I don't know what they did, but ever after that, he had this hole in his thigh. There was probably a quarter of an inch divot. I don't know if you ever saw it, David, if you saw that divot, anyway, it's, it's on the outside right next to his femur. It just went up right beside his femur. But fortunately, it didn't go on the inside because that's where you're, where the big, the big uh, femoral artery is. And it was on the outside, but it still bled like crazy. I mean, the sheets were soaked and he tightened it tight. You know, you don't want to tourniquet, but I think it was probably close to that. Anyway, so that was quite the experience, but David just hung in there. He was still conscious when they got to the hospital and able to get that whole thing out. And through that, they had to put a, a plastic, I remember a plastic cone down into the, into the, to the muscle so that it would heal from the inside out. Otherwise it would fester and keep, because it was keep bleeding basically a hole in his, right oh through the middle of his leg. Goodness. So he had this shaft, this plastic shaft that they kept moving. I don't know, I don't know all about the medical part of it, but the idea was that it would heal from the inside out, which is what it did. But that's the kind of stuff that David, you know, he'd go through and you're like, that's, that's, you know, who's able to go through that kind of stuff and just okay. hang in there? Yeah. If I remember right, the scar was kind of star-shaped a little Correct. bit. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, as you get older, the scar tissue kind of bleeds out, yeah. So, but it had a general... Well, these were these were four-sided arrows. arrows yeah, tips. right. That's what yeah. I mean. It had, yeah, so it had a scar. scar. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's exactly right, Dal. That's a good, that's a good detail. Yeah, so I've, anyway. I've heard this story a couple times before yeah. throughout my life. Yeah, this is this was it was pretty gnarly. It was pretty gnarly and pretty traumatic. And um, I don't know if they ended up selling the bows and stuff. I I ended up uh, trading my bow and bow off. Janet wanted it for a while. She shot for a while. It was just a little bit too strong. One. I never had the upper body strength to really pull it like I wanted to. And uh, I just got turned off of it because it was. You know, we got there a lot of times on our property. We had a 40-acre piece of property up in the woods, and we hunted up there all the time. And I just, you just, deer are these weird, they're not scared of you. So you, you would like, you could stalk them, and they would come out of the bushes and just stare at you. And they're like, from me to Dow, you know, 10, 12 feet away from you. So now I'm supposed to look into the eyes of this deer with my bow, and, and, and I was like, I just couldn't do it. So there was a lot of times I had opportunities to do that, but it was fun to kind of just be out there hunting and trying to be quiet and stuff and sneak around. So I remember going around this thicket, and David and I did this all the time. We're like, you're going around this thicket, you know, of brush and stuff, and you'd see them with different trails. They could stick their head out and look at you, and it's like, just stare at you, and then turn around and walk off, and, you know, so... They're just kind of, but an elk, you scare up an elk and you, you, you see them, they're miles away, you know, but deer will, they'll just kind of keep 
plan with you. You know, you follow them around. They kind of follow you this way. And they, they had in the bush and just kind of sit there and wait for you. And they kind of walk by and you, you don't even know them. They're stick, they're there. And you just walk by them because you can't see them because they're dead still, you know. So right. hunting deer is a whole different thing. But yeah. anyway, it just turned out not being a good experience for me. But David, David loved going out and doing that hunting and fishing stuff. And him and him and dad have all kinds of stories of fishing stories and, and uh, those kind of things. So it was, it was all really, um, Good for them. I just, I didn't really do much of that with them as an adult. But, you know, for me, I just remember David being super generous, very practical, very forgiving and open, and always willing to just help. Very generous person. So, you know, those are four adjectives that there's like, yeah, that's Dave. That's just, that's what he was about. And those are great traits to have. Uh, and he was always really kind. He never... David never got mean until you just really provoked him, and still he really wasn't. He just really not that way. I did provoke him one time, though, in high school, and I'm sure you guys have heard this story before, but we were out a task with digging a, um, some plants or something up out of this deck in the backyard in Bend, and the deck was off the ground. We were on a hill there. The deck was out, extended out over top of the over this uh, outcropping of rocks and dirt and stuff. Anyway, there were some holes in there where some trees were. So I guess we cut the trees out and we were supposed to do some digging. I don't remember what the purpose was, but one of us was down in this hole digging and um, the other one was up on the top. And so we'd switch out because it wasn't a big enough hole for both of us to be in there. But we had to dig all this stuff out of there. I remember thinking he's not doing it right and telling him off that he needed to do this correctly. And so I had the hammer because we were doing some carpentry stuff with this because it was on the deck, you know, and he had the shovel. And if I remember right, I'm the one with the hammer and he was the one with the shovel, if I remember correctly. It could have been the other way around. I think it was, he was in the in the, in the hole digging and I was up on top of the hammer. Anyway, we got mad at each other. I, I don't know what it was about, why we got mad, but I haul off and hit him with the side of the hammer head. And I hit him on the back of the head. <laughs> and it, it didn't knock him out or concuss him or anything that I know of anyway. He just got super mad. <laughs> I remember him coming out of that hole like he was lit on fire. And he comes out of there and gra- with his shovel and turns around and hauls off and smacks me in the back of the head with that shovel. And we both stood there kind of like, oh, I don't know how he like, because I pretty much dazed him with the hammerhead. And he totally dazed me with the shovel because he in the back of the head with the shovel, full swing. Like we weren't holding back. It was the full on, I hit him as hard as I could. And we were, you know, 18 years old, 17 years old. You're both lucky to be alive. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Anyway, and he come, but I remember, I don't, I don't ever remember him moving so freaking fast. <laughs> he was out of that hole and swinging that shovel and I couldn't get out of the way. He smacked me hard. And I remember both of us looking at each other completely dazed. I'm I'm leaning over, holding onto my knees, you know, arresting my hands on my knees, you know, bent over and and trying to keep from actually going unconscious. And he was the same way. And um, we never hit each other after that. We decided (laughs) that we were too old to participate in these kind of games. Uh, And I don't know what flared up, what caused that, but I remember yelling at him about something that he was doing that was wrong, in my opinion, of course. And uh, yeah, it didn't matter. He he got he got the brunt of my disagreement with what he was doing, and uh, so did he after that. But other than that, I don't remember Dave really ever being really angry like that. Other than that time, you know, he and I both beat up on that kid that was 
had been teasing us for <laughs> who had it coming. Yeah, he was. We were done with him. So I. That's just those are those are things that just are to me. There. That's what Dave was about. He was. He was all about. You know, we he he bought a bought a uh, video recorder. And uh, we couldn't afford it. We had, you know, you four kids, and we wanted to record stuff. And he's like, yeah. So he let us borrow it for three or four months. We record. That's the videos that we've got came from Dave's video recorder that he was generous enough to loan to us. And they're just stuff like that. That Dave was just always that way, especially as an adult. He just was always, and you know, and I, I was still. We were still really had different lives, so we didn't really mingle that much. We had different friends who so were, we lived in different places most of the time. So there's a lot of things I know that he went through that I really don't know very much about. He was not a real, he was not a complainer guy. He wouldn't, he wouldn't complain about a bunch of stuff. And, um, right before he passed away, um, I'd gone up and visited him a couple of different times. He and I talked about our relationship with dad and everything and totally different relationship than I had with my dad. He, he had with him, um, all different, you know, that's, that's all other stuff. But, but, um, I just was trying to illustrate what, what he was like and, and I remember still one time we were sitting over there at my mom and dad's at, in Middleton before dad passed away and before David did, obviously. And we were talking, he goes, Dan, I want to talk to you sometime. And you know, Barb was there with him and, and it's like, okay, so what do you want to do? And I was, I was always kind of being, when I'm over there, I was always kind of being like a little bit of a smart aleck, you know, kind of stuff like, oh, should I record this? And he's like, I don't care. Do whatever you want to. But he was actually being really serious. And I regret that I wasn't being like getting captured in the moment. Because then he said to me, and it took me completely by surprise, he goes, Dan, I just want you to know that, I, that I've forgiven you for the way you've treated me your whole life. And I've thought about that since. And it's like, I wonder the extent of that forgiveness. What other things that I don't even know about that he got his feelings hurt over or that he did or that I did to him. And, um, you know, he just, that's what he said about, that was about a year and a half before he passed away or two years before. I just want you to know that I've forgiven you for all the stuff you've done to me. And I'm thinking high school and, you know, junior high, but I just kind of since then have wondered and would like to ask him now, now that I'm more mature and, you know, what, what other stuff was there, Dave? What other crappy stuff did I do to you? But those are water under the bridge things. But it's something I want to know about at some point. So it's going to be one of my questions when I first see him again is, what other stuff did I do? And knowing Dave, he'll go, I don't remember. It doesn't really matter. It just doesn't matter anymore. I've moved on. And I think that's what he'll say. But I'm I'm really curious to know what other stuff that I did. Just being myself, my, and and a lot of times just being my jerky self, not not being sensitive and aware. And because Dave was a really big observer and he was really sensitive about stuff, he he understood people way more than I did. I, I was, and being a social person, but I understood the sociality part. But he, he like could look at you and 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 he just understood. Way more than I did, way more than I still do, and um, I think he's, you know, if he had been inclined, I think he would have made a fine, you know, 
counselor because he was a good listener and um, very empathetic and very understand people and under observe things about people and about me and about the family um, stuff that I'm like, I just never picked up on. And I, I would like to um, really feel that and experience that with him now, you know, as, as a, a senior adult, if you will, you know, gone through stuff and, you know, you guys are all grown and, and go, what, what would Dave be like, you know, and be around him more. Um, anyway. Yeah. So that's my brother in a, in a few words and stories. And my really good memories are when we were younger and the older ones are just because we, we were just led different lives. We were just in different places a lot, but Dave was always there. Anytime I needed something, he was always there. He was on it. When we moved from, from school the first time and we moved up to a Corvallis, after I graduated from from Utah Technical College as with my drafting degree, um, he helped he helped us move up there, and uh, a little bit. And uh, you know, I remember he'd been married. He was he got married the day after we did, in the Manti Temple to uh, to Sue Butts, and uh, that didn't last too long. I don't remember how long that did last, but I think a couple of years, maybe three. I don't remember now exactly the timing on that. But anyway, um, and. I remember going out to the airport. He worked at the airport as a security guard. Uh, in that would have been in 1982, and um, he lived out there in the trailer. And then, and Susan had left him at that time, so Sue had. So that must, yeah. So that would have been years later. So probably three or four years they probably were together. Anyway, you know, so from from uh, 79 to 82, 81, yeah. So yeah, just two two three years. Anyway. And we went out there and said goodbye to a member. I remember him helping me get loaded all up and stuff, but he didn't go with us up to Corrales. But, but I remember went out saying goodbye to him. And he was in he was in a bad way there. It was she had left him, and he was glad to see her go. There was a lot of issues that they had there between the two of them. But, and I don't know all those details either. Um, anyway, just remember saying goodbye to him and we'll see you later. And um, I don't. Know, I guess. For me, Dave was—he was just always there. He was always—he was always there, willing to be my brother, always willing to do stuff, whatever I wanted to go do. He was there. He was supportive. He was willing to help any way that he could. I think if we'd lived closer as adults and been physically closer together, we would have done more stuff together. I'm, I'm positive of it, um, and maybe I would have learned more about some of those kind of things. But because we really were in different places most of our adult life, I didn't really get a chance to get to know him very much, especially when he was single there after getting divorced from Sue. You know, we went up, and Dina, Dina has a lot of stories about that time, a lot of stories about that time. And uh, learned to and came to love Dave and appreciate him and the stuff I'm talking about in much greater detail much more understanding of what Dave was like as an adult, you know. Um, but those are really, those are my memories. You know, and like I say, if you want to really get some more stuff about Dave, I think, I think uh, obviously talking to Karen and, and Dina, but Dina has, uh, because Dina and, Dina and Dave lived together with mom and dad up there in Libby for quite a long time. I don't know how long, two or three years or whatever, but as adults, 
when when my dad was going through some serious anxiety problems up there, and David was with them, and um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that David did. He was, you know, that uh, what do you call him? Uh, somebody who goes and helps pick up stuff. Uh, there's a name for that that position. Re- a, repo man. No, uh, no, I'm talking about in a, in a nursing home or not nursing, but in a, it was a psych ward. Yeah. Psych ward. Yeah. He was a, yeah. Uh, there's a name for the, the guy basically pick up people and sit them into the wheelchair, help them move along physically, uh, orderly. He was an orderly. And uh, I don't even know if they have that kind of a position anymore, but that's what it was at the time. But because he was big and strong, you know, and, and David and I could pretty much lift and do the same kinds of things. He was, he was physically very capable. I don't, you know. That's what to me is the, is the biggest testament to him. He just had this perseverance and this ability just to keep going and doing and um, regardless of the odds. And I know that he had a lot of physical challenges uh, with the cerebral palsy, but he also broke all the records of whatever the doctors thought he was going to do. Just his just sheer grit and perseverance was amazing and crazy high level of pain. Oh, my gosh. I, I know I'm missing different stories, but I, nothing comes to my mind about that kind of stuff other than the elbow, which we already talked about, you know, mm-hmm. and the arrow, um, you know, never cried, never just, it was like, not that he didn't cry ever, but I mean, just like he just had this crazy physical, and he was, he was strong. We, we could, you know, we, we were, he could do stuff. We, 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 uh, he never wanted for strength to, for relative to me anyway, we could lift whatever we needed to and go do what we needed to do. And we were always, he just was always able to always was there. He was, that's what I would say with him as, as a brother, he was just like always there. I could always depend on him when I got caught in something. And even it had been, even if it had been six months since we talked, he was, he was there like, like no time had passed. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So I wish we'd, we would have lived closer together at the time. I was crazy busy in in Hillsboro, and he lived in Cornelius, which is only what twenty minutes from each other, less than that. Yeah, ten minutes, and uh, from house to house, probably ten minutes. And I, I was just so busy, I I didn't have time to even hardly go by and visit him. They lived in downtown Portland for a while, on the north on the east side and uh, northeast Portland, and by the airport there when he was uh, uh, driving school driving a bus for a shuttle bus for the airport. And, um, yeah, so that's the other thing. It's like, well, you, you'll never be able to ride a bike or drive. It's like, he was a professional driver, <laughs> did bus, shuttle bus, you know, at the airport for I literally think, three or four got years. paid to drive. Yeah. I got paid to drive. I was a professional driver. And I don't know, to me, to me, he's a, he's shoot, a, that's funny. Cause he drove all over the Pacific Northwest, Montana to yeah. Washington. To, I mean, we, like he, he, it's fun. Cause we used to swap stories when I was up there in 08 doing the addition on their house and we just talk about and it like i so related to it because i would just take off do road trips we just do road trips we'd just yeah. go driving all over the place all the time he, he was take off that. like we did our our marathon from vegas to boise that kind of stuff he would just do that kind of stuff all the time you would just that's what you would do yeah oh there's a regional whatever dance get in the rig and drive for 12 hours yeah. you know it's just like that's what we do yeah. It's so much fun. And he, he, he did that a fair amount. Actually. Well, I mean, it was kind of the way, I mean, we lived kind of that in, in Redmond. I mean, it was just like, if you wanted to go anywhere, it was at least a half hour in the rig at yeah. least. Yeah. 
every wherever you went, it didn't right. matter. Right. So it was just you just got used to just driving, and you just yeah. kind of calculated your time on how long it would take. And obviously, this is way before cell phones and the anxiety of, you know, whatever. Yep. It's just like, well, yeah, we'll get there when we get there, and that's how it is. And yep. Yep. I I know. I just I I, I really appreciate his his uh, perseverance. He was just he's one of these guys that just would just keep going, and and always. In my mind, I know that there were, I'm sure, times that he was down, but in my mind and in my experience with him, he was always positive about everything. Always willing to do, there's always a way to do it. Just very practical about it. He was always, he was always saw a way to get something done. He, he was not a complainer, not a whiner in any way that I've ever experienced. And get something, it's like, oh, well, let's just figure out how to do it. Dina tells me that a lot of times he would be, she'll be working on some project and she'd go, stop and think of it. It's like, what would Dave tell me right now? And it was almost always something like, do it this way. What 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 are you thinking? Of course, you know. And you're like, oh, okay. Because it was something always simple and practical and doable. That was Dave. You know, he was not an idealist person who had a bunch of, you know, ideas out there in the ether somehow. He was like, do that. It'll work. If it hurts, stop. You know, if it doesn't make you get where you're going to go, stop doing that and go this other way. That just that's how he was. So you know, you get a perspective from him. And it's like, okay, well, what, what do you think of this, Dave? It's like oh, that's just stupid. Why are you doing that? Because it wasn't. It didn't make any sense in his mind. And that's what you could appreciate him. You you always ask a question. It's like he would always be. You always get a straight answer, and it was always honest and very practical. So. You got to appreciate that because some people, like myself, you get ideas in your head and it's like, no, some of those ideas are just plain stupid. It's not going to work. Just get it out of your head. Dave was not like that. He'd observe, figure it out, and there was practical solutions. Yeah. So that's, and that's where, you know, it'd be fun to not be so stinking busy. In, 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 in Hillsboro, we were just, well, we had all, all three of you kids. Dave, Dave, Dad was born earlier, but we had you and Jana and Sarah there. Grew our family from one to four, and I was working 60-hour weeks. I was in the Air National Guard. I was in the bishopric, flying all over the place with work. It was just a really super busy time, and that's the time when we lived close together. We could have done more, but, man, I just – I had no time. We had just bits and pieces was it, and uh, and he was busy too. He was working, you know, 50 hours a week in his job, uh, so – um, if you want to know about Dave, uh, I just I can guarantee you there's there's a good hour and a half of of Dave stories because those two took a lot of road trips together. They palled around doing a lot of stuff in those years when they were both single. Yep. And uh, the oldest lot, and the youngest. Lot lot of lot of frightening stories, but you know, I it's just not my place to tell all those. Um, and I don't know probably half of them because Dean hasn't said a lot of stuff, but I, I know they were really, they, they, they became very, very good friends and were, were close. And Dina, I mean, uh, David is in Dina's head quite a bit, especially when it comes to doing things and figuring stuff out. Cause Dave was, he was awesome at that kind of stuff. He would figure out how to make stuff work. So in just these innovative ways, you know, like the red and green show, you know, he's like, he yeah, would, yeah. He, he only, only his ideas were good ones. So some of the stuff in the red <laughs> and green show is like, seriously, but but uh, which makes it funny. But but Dave would he would have these practical, 
workable things that would work that would that would uh, he would design and do. Yeah. And he's got he's the guy this is the guy with all the tools, you know, with yeah. all the if that sheds didn't work, we'll get some kind of tool. Yeah, five different sheds out in the back. I guess Barb's gotten rid of a, a couple of those sheds, but huh? you know, so it's just pretty fun. Yeah. Well, see, David, um, he 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 would he could tell the story only the way that David could tell a story because you know he he'll he'll raise his voice and then he gets a little bit of a pitch to it. And I remember him telling this story. And it's like, and I think it was sticking out of my leg. And he would like do this, this, and you know, he was a good storyteller actually, I think. Really good storyteller. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. he would come up with some fun stuff. Uh, some of the, some of the best parts of, of Dave is him telling stories. I forgot about that. Cause he would, uh, this stuff when he had started having other physical problems as he got, as he got older, something about this one with the, Oh, Passing stones. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Kidney <laughs> so stones. Many he things. just—it's oh. like driving a Volkswagen, not like pushing a Volkswagen up a hose, and you're like, <laughs> "Oh my gosh!" And you're, you're just picturing, and everything's everything about you is tightening up, and you're hurting just because of that description. But he would say stuff like that, that's you know, how and you're it like, feels. "Yeah," because oh. it's like yeah, it feels like a Volkswagen being driven up a, a garden hose, and you're like, "Okay, <laughs> wow, that is like crazy painful." Yeah. <laughs> This kind of proportions, you know, and it's like, oh my gosh. So yeah, so but his but when he would say was hurting, yeah, it was, it was you were he was probably you would, downplaying you that would, and you would have been passed out. Yeah. You know, that's kind of how that it was. Did, I do remember he has a high Oh yeah, well his with stories he always just had this incorporated this understatement to the story to where he almost didn't you almost had to be like, wait, say that again? Yeah. And then he'd say it and you're like Oh, oh my gosh! <laughs> what? <laughs> like, he, like he'd go through the story the first time, and you're like, "Well, or that part of the story, or right, you know, whatever." Right. It was, and you're kind of going, and he'd just kind of matter-of-factly recite these things, and then he'd have his own, you know, flavor of humor to it. Oh gosh! And, it, and then you, and it kind of dawns on you, like, like you just finally comprehended what he just said, and you're like, the magnitude of it finally hits you, and you're going, "Oh my word! Yeah. What just?" What? Who, who would go through that and have that happen? And he's like, he totally did. Yeah. yeah, I know. His way of telling stories was actually really, really fun, how he would put things and in a very unique way, kind of like like my mom. You know, she'll, yeah. she'll say things and add these different words and different things that were yeah. that were just kind of funny, that were like totally unique to him. And and uh, mom mom kind of does the same sort of thing. And, and he, he kind of had his own way of pronouncing things. Which was yeah. always like, like it was never specific. It was always specific. Yeah. You know, it just stuff like that, you know, he's just, yeah. and so it made, it added a lot of character to his storytelling, but yeah. I think he was a really good storyteller. I, I loved listening to his stories, you know, cause he would add these little, like you say, the, you know, the, the Volkswagen or the, you know, the Volkswagen uh, up the it's hose. Analogies. Kind of, or yeah, whatever, yeah. It's, it's the way he brought in different words, different analogies was, was really quite graphic and not like horrible graphic like uh you know lewd or whatever but just like clear description yeah. of something <laughs> yeah, it communicated the thought hits you and you feel the emotion that he was exactly that's exactly what he was doing yeah, right which, which is a really good storyteller because then you can really relate to to that kind of thing and and you're going oh my gosh like dal says and then, and then it kind of hits you it's like oh well what it, it, the, you're saying this it's like yeah yeah that's what i was. he just kind of raises his voice he's had that tone he was like yeah you know what do you like like that and you're going oh my gosh so yeah he was 
is great. He's got a lot of stories of that stuff that happened to him when he was up in Libby there with uh, with Dad going through a lot of his anxiety attacks and stuff. And oh boy, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of little things in there. And uh, Dina probably knows more about that than I do. And those are stories really with my dad and stuff uh, for another time. But yeah, David was David was amazing. He was he was an amazing guy. He really was amazing to know and. Yeah, you just had to, you couldn't help but love him because of how open and honest and practical and uh, kind of a person that he was. He was very understanding. You always felt like, you know, he loved you unconditionally. And um, especially when he told me that he'd forgiven me for all the things I'd done to him, it's like, I thought I had already asked for forgiveness from him multiple times before that. And then, so then it made me realize maybe not. Maybe there's a bunch of other stuff that I don't have even a clue about that he's just chosen not to bring up and not to say anything about and not to cause an argument about. You know, like he said, I think he told you this too, Dave or Dal. I mean, he would be, um, he decided that his commute to, uh, Oregon Electric on the in Gresham when they moved from downtown Portland out to Oregon out to uh, Gresham area, he had to drive Cornelius. From, from Cornelius. He had to go. Well, no, I'm saying they moved again, uh, so he had to drive from Cornelius all the way to Gresham. So you're going through all the traffic all the way through Portland back out again so on the other the side worst. from the east side from the west side of Portland to the east side of Portland. Yeah, so it'd be like going from like whatever you know, bountiful yeah, to but it's so true, sandy though. kind of thing. You, know? you just, I mean, I only have like 13 minutes and I hate everybody. Oh, so yeah. I can't, I just hate them all. It's like, well, you guys are a bunch of numbskulls because you start, you can't help but analyze it. Oh yeah. You start analyzing traffic yeah. patterns. It's yeah, like, why you would you drive that way? You're an idiot. Why would you make that decision? You're a moron. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Dave I, was the same way. Cause it's did, like, yeah. this is how you do things. You analyze it. This is how it does. I do this all the time. I know yeah. exactly how it needs yep. to be. And you're not doing it right. You're an idiot. <laughs> and and you get to where he, he he told me he says I got to where I'm just like I just hated everyone, yeah. all drivers, yeah. and I was just angry the whole time over yeah. and the whole time back. Yeah. And I he thought so somewhere then I just decided I'm just not going to be angry anymore because only thing it's affecting is me. Yeah. Nobody knows that I'm angry because I haven't. You know, he's the one that had the ideas of the telephone pole stuff and other ways of torturing drivers around him that were like being stupid. And he had all kinds of different practical solutions to that. Like we, we <laughs> talked about all that kind of stuff, you know, and, but, but it's like, rather than go there, I just like, I'm, I'm just, I've decided I'm, I'm just not going to get angry. Not going to get angry anymore. And just stop being angry. He says, it's just made my commute much better. Yeah. And I'm, I'm fine. You know, that actually makes me think of a question. You know, what, what, for those of, of our listeners who are into energy typing, what what, what type of energy do you suppose Dave? Oh was? wow, <laughs> a two, definitely a lot of two in there. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, but man, he could get stuff done. He he was a freaking, you know, I don't know. But he always he didn't put the task above people that I ever remember. Anyway, I think he was a lot like Grandma in some respects. I, I think that's yeah. Yeah, a I different flavor a good, of two. That's, that's a good different manifestation. Manifestation. Of two, I would but. say off the top of my head a two three, but you know I'm not uh, really knowledgeable enough about it. I don't think he's a two one. Um, but I would say more like a two three, 
because he was he was about getting the job done. He would figure out what needed to be done, and he would he was not he was an efficiency guy. Seriously, he would like figure out the best, easiest, quickest way to do stuff. Just funny because the entire Perry clan is that way. All of you are. You're <laughs> all that way. All of you. Well, Karen, Dad, one. Dina. I mean, Dave might b- have been a little more extreme than the other three of you. And so you all kind of look at him like, oh, wow, yeah, look at that. But you're all that way. And what's funny is, is you're all that way independent of each other. For the bulk of your adult lives, you have not lived in proximity to each other, except for maybe Dina that's and true. Karen. But yep. their similarities are just incredible. Yeah, yeah. That's true. You all independently have come to, like, Danae made the comment, and you you talked about it a few years ago. It's just like, oh, my gosh, it's like the f- male version of my mom. <laughs> and, like, you siblings, Nate you guys are a that. lot very, very similar. In how you've I've, come to conclusions about like how how to do lie different parts of lives and and you couldn't have done that because that was like an adult problem right like right I, I I encountered this as an adult I've been dealing with this my whole adult life and you've all independently kind of you have a similar way of looking at it yeah uh, so it's an interesting observation Dal I I have to agree with you you know he he was actually. Uh, in some ways, he reminds me of my grandpa Perry, because he didn't really ever have any enemies, and he was always friendly to everybody. You know, you cross him though, that'd be a different story. But he was always willing to, especially as as an older adult, uh, older meaning like you know out of his out of his twenties kind of thing. Um, he was always, he was he was friendly to everybody. I don't know if anybody who didn't like Dave once you, once you spent a few minutes talking to him. I, I don't know if anybody who didn't like him. There were some people who were kind of narrow-minded about how a person should be physically and what they, you know, he wasn't a person who like necessarily even cared about actually, even cared about fitting in socially. That was not a priority for him. Um, So other than people that were like that, where sociality and that kind of thing, how you look to other people was important to you, then you wouldn't, you wouldn't treat Dave very well. But if that stuff wasn't that critical, um, they just, they latched onto Dave a lot. He was, he was friendly and they liked being around him and, and cause he had these different antics that, you know, you couldn't help but like, and, uh, that he would do. And so, yeah, but, but, um, if you were, a, 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 a let's say, I guess maybe a social climber, if you will, then, you know, Dave was not somebody you wanted to have in your list of people that were who's who kind of thing. I'd say he was a two, three. Yeah, I guess he, I'm saying that he was, because he, he, he was really on the move a lot. Yeah, he got some. High, and he adjusted to change and situation dynamic situations pretty readily. I would say a two three is what my, what my guess is off the top of my head. I, or I a three two somewhere. Or in a there. three One two. Of yeah, T- three would be task first. Um, so I'd say as, two as opposed to helping people feel yeah. comfortable around you. So I would. That's why I would put the two and then the three. He he just was not about. Um, having people feel uncomfortable and about and but but yet not so emotional either so that that's a good point i i don't i don't know he, he's a lot more emotional than you'd think he is uh, yeah very sensitive person very uh aware very uh aware about yeah. of people and how people felt and uh didn't always necessarily like verbalize that but he he would observe stuff. You're like, that's a really good point, Dal. That's a, I mean, Dave. That's that's yeah. That's a yeah. It's a good point. So he would he would observe it. He would see it. So I think that's a good point, Dal. Um, with being a two, I, I would say two three. It would be my guess, not a three two. But either way, you know, you're right there. I just wouldn't. I don't know that I would put him at a one. 
uh, or a four necessarily, although he was a heck of a critical thinker. He could get to the bottom of something so fast, the reality of something. Um, I don't know. Well, it's basically an infinitely debatable topic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. (laughs) I thought I would try to get it out of you. Yeah. Anyway, good good memories and a good man. One of the best. Well, thanks, Dad. Thanks for sharing all these stories and moments. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. Thank you.